Welcome to the Chad Cargill ACT Test Prep Podcast, coming to you from the Ollie Ray Ranch in Choctaw, Oklahoma. It's great to be with you for episode 23, How a Small Town Student in Rural Oklahoma Got Accepted to Stanford. My goal is to give practical tips to help you increase ACT scores, qualify for college, and win those much-needed scholarships. We'll talk colleges, careers, and most of all, test-taking strategies and tips. Last week, I had my brother, Lance Cargill, on to talk about why you should consider going to a prestigious university that might be far away versus going to a local university close to home. And this week, we're going to do a follow-up to that episode, and we're going to interview my nephew, Jackson Cargill, Lance's son, who is accepted to Stanford and will be moving away soon. Now, Jackson recently graduated from Christian Heritage Academy in Dell City, Oklahoma, and I had the opportunity not only to watch him go through high school, but I also got to coach him, and you'll hear about a little bit of that in the interview when he brings up his time playing football and some of his extracurricular activities, but I've watched him grow and mature over the years. He is a fascinating young man. I'm telling you, he is going to do amazing things in his life. He already has. He's going to continue to do so. And in this interview, I want you to get to hear some of the things that he did in preparation. And then I want you to hear a little bit of the process of how he started narrowing down his colleges and and then applying and the acceptance process and so forth. So I'm excited for you to get to meet Jackson through this episode and hear his story. And hopefully you'll gain a lot from this. And I'll be back with you at the end of the episode to wrap this up. So let's get started with Jackson Cargill. Stanford class of 2024. Jackson, it's great to have you on the podcast. I'm so excited you can join. So welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. I had your dad on last week, obviously, and we talked all about the, you know, the pros and cons of going to prestigious university versus maybe staying local and going to a a local university. And man, Lance had some great, you know, arguments and uh, things that I had not considered and I was excited to let people hear that. And this week, I wanted to transition to your story from a student's perspective now. And we know next year, uh, actually, from the date we're recording this, it's actually here in a month or two, you are actually heading to Stanford. And so it's going to be a huge change. And I want to just go through a little bit of that for the listeners today, get some of your insight, whether it's a student listening who might want to do the same or a parent who's saying, yeah, that might be something that my kid wants to do. And so I'm just excited for you to share some of that. So let's just start with early on. Jackson, when you were a freshman, sophomore in high school, I mean, early on, you decided that this may be something that you wanted to do. So just tell the listeners, if you would, just why you thought that might be something you want to do and where maybe you were thinking, just kind of how all that came about. I had always been near the top of my class at CHA. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, uh, maybe if I can continue to do well in academics uh, at my school, then, you know, maybe I can uh, go to a prestigious university. Maybe I could go up and do well at a uh, at a very highly ranked school. It did. You know, it wasn't until later until I really knew what I wanted to do. But, you know, definitely like as a as a freshman, I said, you know what, I'm going to do the best I can in academics. I'm going to do the best I can at school so that I can set myself up for success to be able to go to one of those big schools. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it was hard, you know, to uh, do it as a freshman because you don't know, like, what's coming up later in life and the opportunities that will open up. But 
um, I'd made the commitment as a, uh, at a young age to, uh, to do it and it's, uh, it's paid off. Well, and, and part of that, you know, it, it, it's not just grades. It's not just ACTs. It's not just extracurricular. It's a combination of all that. And I want you, if you would, we're going to go through each of those and let you talk about some of the things that you did in building that resume that made this all possible. So grades, I mean, let's talk just in general, what was your approach in high school for grades and what classes you took? Just, just address that briefly to start. So I, uh, my approach was to take, uh, the hardest classes, uh, my school had to offer. And the reason that was, was so that I could challenge myself in learning. Um, I, I'm a guy that just wants to continue to learn, to grow my knowledge, uh, to, um, you know, I'll even do some things that are sometimes uncomfortable for myself, but, um, I want to, uh, you know, uh, do the best that I can. And that means taking uh, the hardest classes. Um, and sometimes, you know, I even like underestimated myself and, you know, said that, you know, oh, I, I'm not sure if I can do this hard class, but I kept pushing through. Um, I kept, uh, you know, trying to take the hard classes, got through them. Uh, that, so that was my mindset. Um, when it comes to, um, you know, even outside of grades, uh, my mindset was um, that I needed to do hard things in sports. So like, for example, I played football. Um, it, you know, it was hard, uh, you know, in my senior year, actually, of uh, high school. Um, so many people got injured on our uh, football team that they needed a middle linebacker for, uh, for, the, um, for the team. Well, you know, I'm at the time I'm like uh, only like 135 <laughs> pounds or whatever. Right. And so right. The, the coach is like, you know, Jackson, would you like to be our middle linebacker? I'm like, OK. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I said, you know what, I'll do it because, you know, I'm here on the football team. Why not? I'll do a hard thing. And so, you know, I was going up against, you know, 300 pound linemen, you know, or whatever, you know, just full on power run teams. And sometimes it was terrible. But, uh, you know, that's just uh uh, you know, you just got to have that mindset, um, both in academics and in sports and uh, really anything you do. Yeah. And I've shared on past episodes, I coach high school football. So I was one of those coaches. I was in those meetings. And <laughs> when the defensive coaches suggested that, I mean, I just kind of sat there and listened and you know what, all the coaches are like, yeah, that guy will go tackle somebody. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you're not the biggest guy and, uh, you made up million tackles. So I think that just kind of speaks to your character. Like let's go slay giants. And sometimes <laughs> I think students are going to have to have that approach if they want to go to one of these prestigious schools. Right. I mean, they're going to have to say, look, I'm mm -hmm. going to go slay that giant. Now that doesn't always mean that giant's going to fall, but you put yourself in a position to where it could happen. Mm -hmm. And there's no doubt you did that with your grades yes. and what classes you took. Now let's talk extracurricular activities. So we already mentioned football and sports. I know you, you played a variety of sports in high school, but let's talk about some of the other things that you did. And uh, not only on the sports side, but I want you to focus on a few of the other things that you did to help, uh, not just to build the resume. I think building the resume was maybe a byproduct of what you really wanted, you were passionate about and you wanted to do and accomplish. So talk about some of your extracurricular that you did. So one thing that I did at my school was I started my school's first ever uh, politics club, actually. Uh, it's, it was called Club Politico. And we just invited um, 
a bunch of speakers from, uh, you know, both uh, Democrat, Republican, uh, you know, independents, whoever. We just invited whoever would come to come speak at our school. And uh, that was something that um, I literally just uh, went up to one of the principals of our school, just said, hey, I have an idea for a club and uh, I'd like to start it. And they're like, oh, well, sounds like a great idea. Okay. And so they backed me and um, I was able to, uh, with the blessing of CHA, to um, start my own uh, political club. Uh, I was able to do whatever I wanted with it. Uh, I ended up um, doing uh, voter uh, registration drives at the school. So I got every single uh, 18-year-old in the entire school to register to vote. Um, that was an awesome experience. We've, uh, we held like a, a, a presidential mock election. So basically, we had like a, a voter booth. Like when you entered the school, that before you came into the school, you had to uh, vote for uh, you know presidential candidate or whatever. So that was really cool uh, that I got to do um, start a club at my school. Other um, stuff outside of school, um, I've participated in a lot of like uh, summer camps. So like um, a bunch of different colleges offer um, you know they'll offer camps for a variety of things. Like um, uh, the camps that I participated in, there was one in um, New York. There was a college in New York that had a um, a summer camp, uh, just, um, focused on the battle of Brooklyn and just learning about the battle of Brooklyn. So I participated in that. Another camp that I participated in was the, uh, Naval Academy summer seminar. And it was literally just a camp about, um, you know, a week in the life of a Naval Academy, um, student and man, they do some tough stuff. I mean, we had to like, uh, we had to swim, we had to yeah. uh, paddle, we had to, uh, you know, running mud. We, I mean, all sorts of stuff. It's crazy stuff, but that was really fun. You're ready to be a Navy SEAL. That's right. Yeah, that's right. We had a Navy SEAL come and uh, instruct us on like how to do, how many pushups we had to do to become a Navy SEAL. It was crazy, and I, wow. I can never do it. But uh, on top of that, um, what I also did was I just volunteered at my local food bank, or um, I also volunteered at my local uh, nursing home. Um, those are actually pretty easy things to do as well. Sadly, maybe not. Uh, during uh, this COVID crisis, but there are, if you reach out to people, um, you definitely can find um, opportunities to serve, like, again, at your local food bank, or, you know, if there's like a Jesus house or something near you, um, that's a great opportunity as well. Uh, they love all the volunteers they can get. You know, there are plenty of opportunities to, uh, you know, serve um, through that way as well. So those, those are some things that I did, you know, outside of school. Yeah, and I want to go back to your political, your political organization was outstanding because you know a lot of people say, "Well, I'm passionate about this, and I'd like to do something," and they're like, "But I don't know how to do that or what to do." But I mean, you just—it was like the old cliche: you grab the bull by the horns. It's like, let's go. I mean, you had amazing mm -hmm. speakers come in. It was it was something that really took off. I mean, the school recognized you multiple times um, in front of the entire school, in front of the parents, just for what you were doing and the awareness you brought and you brought in speakers from both sides, which I thought was awesome because, you know, it wasn't like, Hey, we're just going to do this to promote what I believe it was. We're going to do this yeah. to inform and let you make your own decisions. Yes. And that was something I, um, I was very proud of the politics club to do. That's yeah, great. Um, okay. So Jackson, now let's talk the third part of this resume that you built. And that was your ACTs. And I, I want to, you know, a lot of people are going to go, well, if he's going to Stanford, obviously he's just one of these geniuses that just, you know, popped in the first time, take the AST, made it 34. It wasn't like that. 
And so I want you to talk about your approach on the ACT and kind of how that journey went for you. Yeah. So um, I will say this. Uh, I took the ACT more than once. And uh, the first time I took it, I think I got like a, a 24 or a 26, something like that. And, uh, you know, I was kind of bummed out. I'm like, you know, oh, I'm going to go in and just, you know, dominate this thing or whatever, you know, that whole mindset or whatever. And uh, nope, just, uh, you know, I got a 26, 24, which is great. Don't get me wrong. That is a great score. But, you know, I, I was like, oh, I thought I really would get a high score. Yeah, it's a great score. Absolutely. And so immediately uh, I'm just like, okay, my approach to the ACT is wrong. I can't just walk in there and be like, I'm going to do well on this thing. Um, you can't do that. Um, I'm testament of it. So what happened is after uh, that ACT score that I was disappointed in, um, I decided, you know what? I am going to just, you know, <laughs> practice it. I'm just going to practice the ACT. Now, of course, you can't just like go in and take the ACT unlimited amount of times, right? But what you can do is you can buy a bunch of uh, practice ACTs. So uh, what I did is there's, you know, there's if you go to your local bookstore or you just even research online, there's a gazillion, you know, like practice ACT books out there. Um, I Personally, I think uh, Chad's is one of the best ones. Uh, uh, and in my opinion, the most in-depth of all the <laughs> ACT books out thank there. Thank you. That is not a paid advertisement, but thank you. <laughs> no, it's not. I promise. Um, and I really do mean it. But um, if you want like uh, just flat out practice ACTs, there are literally just books that are just just practice ACTs. And that's what I did. I just uh, went out there, just found him. And I um, usually what would happen is every Sunday after I'd gotten all my homework done, after I had gotten, um, you know, after church or something, I would just sit down uh plan out about four hours of my day and, uh, and Sunday afternoon, just do, uh, an ACT. And I literally did that for, um, well, uh, at first, after my first ACT, I did that for about a month, like every, every Sunday, every other Sunday, um, I would just sit down and do the ACT for four hours on a Sunday afternoon. I took my, uh, second ACT. I got a slightly better score than the, than my first time. I'm like, okay, it's working. It's working. And so then uh, I continued to practice, continued to get better. And, uh, you know, it just took off from there. And so um, my approach to the ACT was one of practice. It takes time. It, you know, it can be hard. It was hard mentally on me, but um, it paid off in the end. Yeah. And I know from just talking with Lance over the years, how many hours you really did work. It, it's in, incredible. And, I, you know, I, I, I've used this analogy in sports a lot. You see people do great things in sports. And yeah, some people are just born with freak abilities. But for most people that you see, you're like, listen, the hours that were spent, that's incredible. I mean, you know, I remember uh, my daughter played with a great basketball player. And uh, uh, I, I would always tell me, they go, oh my gosh, she's so incredible. And I go, listen, um, she wasn't at home, you know, goofing off in the evenings, watching a movie, eating popcorn. I mean, that girl was out training with a trainer and, and then going and playing on weekends. And well, you know, we're out swimming in the pool. She's off playing games. And this is the same way. I mean, for some people, yeah, they show up and make a 34, 35 ACT, but for Jackson and for most, it takes hard stinking work and you start 
And I know a lot of people would love to get to 24s on the ACT or 26 by the last time. So this is all relative, but it, it's it's still a difficult process if you want to become great. It doesn't matter if it's basketball, doesn't matter if it's piano, doesn't matter what it is. It just takes time. And Jackson, you're a great testament to that. Now let's go next to finding a college. So I want to talk about you start to get these really high scores. You're maintaining all these A's. You've got all this extracurricular and you're like, this may actually happen. So let's start with how did you go about that process of what colleges to even look at? And when did you start that? Talk about that for a minute. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, one thing I want to clarify, though, is that um, I did say like I spent like four hours every Sunday. Um, don't be bummed out by that. Like if you don't have four hours on a Sunday afternoon, every Sunday, you can just like spend like 30 minutes on just a section of the ACT. Sure. Just know that. So just want to clarify that. But uh, anyways, to answer your question, Chad, about uh, colleges and like how I started to look for them, it's just um, simply it's this. I just said, you know what? I'm going to go big or I'm going to go home. And I decided what I was going to do is I was going to look at the top colleges. Um, so this was after I had a, a decent ACT score to get into uh, the Ivy Leagues, to get into, um, say, a Stanford, right? Um, and so I decided, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to go all the way. Um, so what I did was I decided I'm going to apply to Stanford. Um, every Ivy League school except for Dartmouth because uh, Dartmouth is too cold for me. <laughs> I applied um, to the, all those schools and Oklahoma State University and uh, Oklahoma University. And so I literally was go big or go home. Right. So. Um, right. Yeah. That was. Uh, um, and it, so that's like how I decided to apply to the colleges. Now, um, if I was going to get into those colleges, then I would have to look deeper into um you know, what college is right for me, which is what I did. So after I decided, okay, I'm going to apply to these colleges. If I get into, uh, say, three of them, how am I going to rank them from one, two, and three? So what I did was I decided since, um, you know, yeah, I'm going out that. of state, I'm going a long ways away. Um, I decided that um, really it's location for me is actually not going to be the biggest factor. What I decided was that number one, would actually be um, the people. I decided, you know what, I'm going to look at who are the people going to the school and are they accepting of like, you know, freshmen coming in? Are they accepting of different um, views? Like, uh, are they tolerant of people? Um, are they, uh, you know, how, how do they react to somebody from Oklahoma, you know, coming to their school that may be in California, maybe in Connecticut, maybe in Massachusetts or something, you know, that that's, yeah. that's something to really look at. And that's what I did. Another thing to look at, and I know this might seem a little weird is look at the food because, uh, you know, you don't really want to be living somewhere for four years where the food is just kind of meh. I mean, where the food is not that great. Um, you want to live somewhere yeah. where like, you know, if it's, um, a late night, you're studying or something, you can be comfortable to go out to a restaurant and, you know, eat a good, you know, a dinner or eat a good, you know, <laughs> midnight meal or something and, um, you know, feel comfortable like that. That is something to consider. It's not the deciding factor for me, but I mean, it's something to consider. And then the third and probably most importantly was um, living situation. So every college 
is going to have a slightly um, different living situation. It's not uh, that much different. I mean, almost all the Ivy League schools in like a place like Stanford has, you know, like uh, regular old college dorms, right? But they are usually slightly different in that, you know, uh, sometimes they'll be uh, the colleges will base their dorms off of like, um, you know, certain. Uh, certain like majors, certain um, like you know, a, uh, certain uh, genders, certain you know, stuff like that. Um, it can be a variety of different things. There right. are differences right. in housing for each school, um, and what they do. So that's something to consider, and that's something that I considered to be very important. Um, one thing I liked about uh, Stanford's housing was that um, it was actually just kind of small, like they had a smaller student body. And so I liked the feeling of just having a smaller like dorm, basically. Um, so that was really, uh, that was really nice compared to some of the other uh, East Coast colleges I visited where the living situations were just, you know, you just lived in one giant dorm or whatever. So um, that's something to consider. Okay, so let's talk about some of the differences now, because What's going to happen, you know, is a person listen to this and like where we're from here in Oklahoma, if you apply to Oklahoma State and you qualify, you're accepted, you're in. But we know it's not that way with a lot of these schools. A lot of these schools, they're going to get 30,000 applicants and they're going to accept 1% of them or whatever. And that number may be totally wrong. I'm not sure exactly the number of applicants for each. I'm sure you know some of that, but it's going to be a small percentage. So I want you to tell us. Um, first, how, you know, you, you send those applications, then what do you do when it comes to a school like that? Cause you don't know if you're going to get accepted. How do you find out that you're accepted or how does that process even work with these elite schools? So all the elite schools are going to be through the common app, which is, um, you know, the major thing that almost every college uses nowadays. Um, but how you, um, figure out if you got in or not. Uh, usually each college is going to have their own application portal that you go to. So like, for example, Harvard has their own application website. You would log on to their application website, figure out like, uh, well, and they might actually have like special instructions uh, on how to apply uh, to like a certain institution in Harvard. So you need to make sure to read that before you even apply in the first place. But in um, like Stanford has their own application page, right? So if you were um, going to figure out how you got into those schools, um, that's how uh, that's how you do it online. Now, how I would recommend, um, like personally, how I'd recommend you, you know, uh, figuring out if you can get in or not, or while when you submit your application and you're in that waiting period between between knowing if you got in or not and when you submitted your application. So one big thing that you need to do is you need to try to develop a relationship with your um, with your admissions uh, person from that university. So what I mean by that is each university is going to have a, an admissions like a counselor almost um, at, at their school for a specific region. So for example, Harvard is going to have like an admissions counselor or an admissions uh, supervisor for the Oklahoma area. Um, and then they're also going to have a, a admissions supervisor for the Texas area. And they're going to have an admissions supervisor for Alaska or something. Right. Yeah. What you need to do is you need to figure out 
who your admissions supervisor admission supervisor is for your region at the school you want to be at. Once you figure out who they are, you want to reach out to them. You want to tell them who you are, that you apply, that you're excited to go to school there, and you want to try to keep a relationship with them. What would be best is if you could meet them in person and go to um, go to their campus, even after you've applied, go to their uh, the school you want to go to's uh, campus and try to meet with the uh, the admissions uh, supervisor. If you can put a face to your application, uh, that goes a long way. Admissions uh, supervisors will really appreciate you if you like show yourself, if you uh, meet them, if you talk with them, if you, again, put a face to the application. It goes a long way. And I think that's probably the biggest thing you can do between the time you submit your application and the time you find out if you got in or not. Yeah, we talked about that in episode 12. Um, it was uh, why junior college is a great option with Dr. Jeannie Webb, the president of Rose State. And we talked about that specifically about, look, you got to know who's, you know, the, the who you're going to go visit with, who you're going to see. Don't visit a campus and not be purposeful or in, intentional and make sure you know what rep is assigned to your high school and, and get to know her and make sure that uh, she sees your face. So it's the same thing, even at elite schools, it sounds like. And Whereas locally, it may be, you know, this college rep is assigned to these high schools in this county. At these larger schools like this, it may be this rep is assigned to these states. But either way, they got to know who you are. And if you go meet them face to face, that can certainly help. You find out that you get accepted to Stanford. Now, tell me, it's not like you just start accepting offers from a bunch of schools. Tell, tell the listeners about how you, there was an, an advantage to only apply for early admission or early acceptance to one school and kind of how that works. Yes. So uh, what I did in my application to Stanford is I applied, um, as Chad said, uh, early admission. So what that means is that um, I applied before, th- so there's like an early deadline. If you want to apply to Stanford um, and you say that is your number one school, like you want to go to Stanford above every other school, there's a deadline to get your application in to apply for that um, that deadline. That's what I did. Or it's called early action. What it does really is it just gives you a slight advantage in the application process because they're going to look at your application early and earlier than every other, you know, hundreds of thousands, you know, of other applicants out there, you know, whoever applies, and they're going to look at it and be like, okay, uh, yes, you got in. No, we're not going to let you in, or we're going to defer you until regular admission. And so all those options are great because either number one, you know, you got in really early, so you can start planning uh, to um, go to Stanford. Number two, they tell you, no, we are not going to let you in. And that's actually a good thing uh, because now you know, hey, that school's off my radar. Don't have to worry about it. I can move on to the next school. Or number three, they defer you to regular admission, which is still uh, a good thing because, you know, then you get a second chance. You get a second looking uh, at your application. And so it's great. So, um, you know, the, the worst part of early admission is to, you know, be told no, but it's still okay if you're told no, because it just, it just eliminates one school earlier than the rest. For somebody like me that got in, 
on early admission. It's really great because now I don't even have to, to worry about applying to any of the schools. Now, you do have to keep in mind if you apply early admission to a place like Stanford or any other school that offers early admission, generally it'll be just like private schools that, um, that offer like early admission, which is what most of the Ivy Leagues are, right? But um, you do have to keep in mind if you apply early admission that you cannot, you can only apply to one school uh, early admission. You can't apply to like uh, six of them early admission. You can apply to a public school early admission along with a private school early admission. So, but you cannot apply to uh, multiple private institutions early and, uh, or else they'll, if you do that, then they will just void your application. Interesting. Um, I, and no they, I don't think they'll even let you apply the regular decision either. So you have to be very careful that you read, you know, the fine print on these things. Yeah. So that's the advantages of doing early admission. So when in the process, did you do an interview? Did you do an interview after you applied and then they named you like a, a finalist and then you interviewed or when, when did that come about? Generally, every single Ivy League school and like in place like, places like Stanford, they, uh, once you submit your application via the, you know, whatever the application process is for the school, they will just set you up with an interview right there on the spot. Like right after you submit your application, they just say, you know, oh, you know, we're scheduling an interview for you. And um, which is really uh, crazy if you think about it, that, you know, for the thousands of students that apply, they still, they all, they all get an interview. I mean, I say they all get an interview. Sometimes you won't get an interview. And if you don't, that's okay. Don't freak out if you don't get an interview because sometimes the the interviewers are like sick or they just physically cannot get to you or they just overbooked like they've, you know, they're interviewing, you know, yeah. 25 other people and they can't interview you. Right. So, I mean, it's okay if you don't get an interview, but generally every single student gets an interview right after they submit their application. So you, you know, you don't even have to be like a finalist per se. Uh, you will get an interview. Um, and if you don't uh, get an in-person interview, usually they'll do like a Zoom interview or they'll do um, uh, probably like, and they might even do like a questionnaire I've heard. Uh, very rare though. But um, but yeah, so basically everybody gets an interview and it's right after you submit your application. Yeah. And I know your dad talked to me quite a bit uh, before your interview and you guys used a lot of resources and uh, Lance told me that the resource I gave you was really helpful. And for the listeners, that was episodes 15 and 16. It was how to win in the interview and how to lose in the interview. And those two episodes I pulled straight from that interview lesson that I created and gave to Lance for uh, Jackson to use. And obviously his interview went pretty well. So Anyway, that is great. Okay. So Jackson, now that we've kind of talked through the process, you've accepted, you know, you, you've been accepted and you're getting ready to start. What thoughts do you have? I'd, I'd love to just kind of close with what thoughts you have for students out there who are thinking this might be for me, or maybe I want to do it. Or even that student that's going, I'd love to do that, but that's not going to happen. There's no way I could ever do that. What would you tell that student? Don't underestimate yourself. The truth is you can go a lot higher than uh, what you think you can. It might sound cliche, the, the you know the saying "believe in yourself," but the truth is you have to. 
you have to if you're going to um, apply to any college, much less an Ivy League or a Stanford or whatever. You have to believe that um, you you know your application uh, is good enough. You know it's it's uh, it's good enough to get into any university. That being said, you do have to work hard. It is a lot of hard work, but it is doable. I, again, I am proof and testament to that. A lot of people get rejected from these giant schools, even if they are like really qualified, even overqualified, it might seem. So a lot of it just comes down to uh, luck of the draw. It really does. Um, and, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe that uh, God opens doors, closes doors. Right. But and so it, it just really just comes down to to that. And uh, but set your sights high. Set your sights very high because, um, you know, if you if you if you even think that you can get into one of the schools, you probably can. You probably can. So, um, you know, if if you're entertaining the thought of should I apply to a Stanford, should I apply to an Ivy League? Uh, do it. I say do it. You know, work hard on your academics, work hard on, you know, uh, extracurriculars, work hard on the ACT. And, uh, you know, you'll surprise yourself. Yeah, that's good. And, uh, you know, I remember when we were waiting to find out if you got accepted, I remember Lance told me a great line and he used it on the podcast episode last week. But I remember he told me, he said, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen here, but he said, one thing that I've really come to peace with is that if Jackson doesn't get into Stanford, it does not change who he is. He's still this great young man. He's still, you know, he's still blessed. I mean, it's not like God forgot him. Um, and you know, there's another plan. There's another route. And, uh, and then he, Lance said that on the podcast episode last week, again, that, you know, even if you wouldn't have gotten in, it wouldn't have changed who you are. And I know you certainly feel the same way. Jackson, you know, that I'm proud of you. Um, I, I think uh, the listeners would be impressed, uh, just if they knew you as I did, but even from listening to you on the episode, I'm sure they're like, uh, yeah, this guy's kind of got it together, and there is no doubt that there are great things coming for you, and there's no question in my mind that you're going to be a world changer someday, and that God's got amazing, amazing things in store for you. So anyway, Jackson, I'm just so glad you joined on the episode this week. Thanks for your time, and thanks for sharing your story. All right. Thank you, Uncle Chad. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jackson. He's a fascinating young man. He's accomplished so much already, and he, uh, at his high school, was given the highest honor um, and was able to speak at his graduation and just did an amazing job. And when he, when he spoke at graduation, he credited all of those teachers. He, he started with his kindergarten teacher, and he talked about some of the things she taught him, and he talked about how, you know, not only her, but some of the other elementary teachers in middle school and high school, and he talked about how he would take that with him when he went to Stanford and he talked about some of those principles and lessons that they taught. And one thing he didn't talk about in the interview, he also served, he lived one semester in Washington, DC and served at the Capitol. And uh, he was one of a select few group of students who got to do that. And it was an amazing opportunity for him. And he talked about even uh, in his graduation speech about how when he would walk the, the floor, uh, you know, of the, of the house of representatives and he'd, he'd walk through DC, how those lessons that his teachers taught went with him and will continue. And so uh, it was just a great, just 
I don't know, honoring of his teachers. And if you're a faculty member listening out there, uh, I know that not only, you know, do you know that you're making an impact and sometimes students won't say it, but students also know those lessons and those foundations that you taught, they're going to go with them. And in difficult situations, he's going to be able to look back and he's going to look back on some of those things that he was taught and some of those challenges that he had uh, or that your kids have or whatever on, on your sports fields and the struggles they had in the classroom. And anyway, it was just a great speech and he's a great young man. And I hope that gave you some information, some things that you can consider uh, if going to one of those prestigious schools might be in your future. Well, I appreciate everyone taking time to listen. I know uh, that, you know, this is a half hour, this episode, a little bit longer, 35, 40 minutes of your life. And I appreciate you doing that. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review. If you're on Apple Podcasts, click that five-star button, type a few words as a review. I really uh, would appreciate that. And then I'll be back with you again next week, every Thursday, um, releasing a a new episode. And you can check my website, chadcargill.com, for a lot of information about my classes. You can find the speed reading software there, speedreading.chadcargill.com. My full calendar is posted on calendar.chadcargill.com. If you would like to get a downloadable PDF of information that will help you put together your scholarship applications. That resource is available at scholarships.chadcargill.com. Scholarships with an S.chadcargill.com. Just go to that, type that URL in. Don't Google search that. Just type that URL directly and a window will appear. It'll say, tell me where to send it. Put your email there and hit submit and you'll receive the key steps, the key things you must do when you're listing projects, activities, whatever, and how to word them on your application so you can get considered as well. It's the same process that Jackson followed when he was doing his applications and many others who have been selected, accepted, and won a lot of scholarships. So hopefully you'll get that resource and that can help you as well. Well, again, thank you for listening. I'll be back with you again next week. Have a great week. I'll talk to you again soon.